And I want to start tonight, probably many of you in the room are parents. And you know, sometimes we make promises to our children, and those promises at times are actually conditional. It's like, you know, you, we're, I'm going to take you to Disneyland, and it's if. And, and then when those criteria are not met, in other words, the grades aren't good, or maybe the chores don't get done, what happens to those promises that we've made is that we say, well, you didn't perform, so we're not going to bless you. Aren't you glad God is not like that? He, he remains faithful even when we are faithless. He does good things to his children, even when his children aren't good. Amen? And we see that really in a, in a very bright and wonderful version uh, in the remaining part here of Genesis chapter 26. Because you have in the story of Abraham and Isaac, Sarah and Rachel and all the kids, uh, the story of some pretty extreme amounts of up and down, amen? Heights of great faith and then lows of tremendous failure and actually repeating the same exact sins over and over, already knowing that God's not going to bless it. And so we come to that place, and if you've grown up in a, maybe in a spiritual history in your life to where uh, you believe that God's love was conditioned on your performance, which is a vast majority of humanity, by the way. There's an awful lot of people that feel like they need to earn God's love. God already loves you, he has always loved you, and while he blesses more substantially our obedience, he still even blesses people who've messed up. And that's the beauty of this passage tonight. We'll pick up, as I said in verse 12, would you join me? Let's pray and take our time before the Lord. Father, we thank you for that promise that Paul spoke to the young pastor Timothy that even when we are faithless you remain faithful and so God we thank you that we get to read the story of a faithful God even in the face of faithless servants uh, failed servants flawed servants servants that are outright disobedient at times you are still providentially good and you even choose to bless us in spite of us sometimes. And so, Father, we thank you for the way you work in our lives. Ask now that you would bless us with your spirit in extra measure so that we can understand what it is your spirit would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 12 here in Genesis 26. And then Isaac sowed in the land. And remember the story here is he, he's gone off to the land of the Philistines, a place that he really shouldn't go. He's been disobedient, he's been rebellious, he's lied about his wife, just like his dad lied about uh, his wife. And so you kind of have this story of repeated problems, and yet Isaac now kind of gets the picture a little bit. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Anybody in here thankful that that says what it says? That after making a mess of his life, after doing some things that he shouldn't have done, that after Isaac himself and his family's been unfaithful, God still remains and is to this day a God who blesses. He blesses us. And I want to be really careful here because that's not saying that, you know, God is your personal genie in a bottle and no matter what you do, uh, you, you just rub the bottle and God's going to be good to you all day, every day, and everything that you ask him for. That is not what scripture says. But God does promise that he is always a blessing God. And so that blessing may come in the form of you actually don't suffer the full consequences of the things that you've done. That blessing may come in a, in a surprising uh, way that some of the negative consequences that you should receive because God is merciful and he doesn't allow those things that's actually his blessing so be very careful how you define blessing because in scripture there's the blessing that is God's overt blessing and there's the blessing that God's covert blessing in other words he kind of blesses you a little bit in secret if you will through the way that he 
controls uh, through his sovereignty. And the man began to prosper and continued, verse 13 says, prospering until he became very prosperous. Now, you wouldn't think that would be the case with Isaac, amen? I mean, we look at Isaac's life up to this, far, up to this point, as much as we know about it, it's kind of like, I would kind of leave him a little bit on the outskirts of blessing if I were God. It's kind of like, well, you're, you're kind of a mess up, so I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna, you're not going to starve to death, but it's not actually going to be really good for you. But God chooses to bless him and make him very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. And so the Philistines envied him. And now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And they filled them in with earth. Now remember in what we call the land of Israel today. The most precious commodity in the land of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is water. In the central Jordan Valley, you have the Jordan River. Beyond that, there is very little fresh water, and it typically comes from a handful of, of streams that run uh, normally during the rainy season and dry up when it's not the rainy season. So water is a precious commodity, and so a well is a precious commodity. And, and as the children of Israel sojourned in the land, Almost every single place that they stopped, the only reason they stayed there is because there was a well there. It was a sign of prosperity, it was a sign of blessing. And so here are these wells that have been dug by Abraham, have been plugged up by the Philistines. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us because you are much mightier than we, recognizing that water was essentially power, the ability to feed your flocks and to water your flocks was essential for those flocks to grow and so the Philistines bright enough to figure that out and they said look you're, you're getting more powerful than we are so you need to leave the land and then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there and as we look at this passage tonight I, I kind of want to start it this way because what we see here is in spite of the dumb decisions and in spite uh, of who uh, Isaac is, and in spite of who Abraham is, God's character never changes. And there's some interesting things about God's character when you start to think about it, because uh, most of us in here, I think, and you don't have to raise your hand, but most of us in here can say that from time to time, we have blown it. Amen? We haven't done exactly what God's asked us to do insofar as we even know to do it. Um, we can look at that oftentimes by what the Word of God says compared to the way we live our lives. None of us in here are supposed to be bitter. None of us in here are supposed to be angry. None of us in here are supposed to be unforgiving. None of us in here are supposed to be less than generous to people who have need. You understand what I'm saying? We can know those things and be disobedient even to some of the things that God has reminded us we need to be, and we're still being disobedient. But God doesn't change his character to match our disobedience. He, he does not turn the page on us and say, well, you know, Jeff, if you're going to be like that, then here's how I'm going to be to you. Now, that does not mean that you won't have consequences in your life from that disobedience. But in God's core, he is still going to be a blessing God. And the reason we know that is because scripture itself says so. And in fact, the whole context of Abraham's time in the land and then Isaac's time in the land is built around that promise, the Abrahamic covenant that we saw back in chapter 22, where Abraham has promised, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. So what's happening? Isaac's got some enemies. And God's actually prospered Isaac in the face of those enemies, even though Isaac himself has been at least a little bit disobedient. That covenant goes on in verse 18 of Genesis 22. And your seed and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. So when Isaac, the descendants of Abraham, are, are in the midst of following God's plans, the whole world is blessed. But nonetheless, even when Isaac is disobedient, God is still a blessing God. And in fact, so much so that when you study the history of the children of Israel, probably most of you have at least heard of the Shema, 
or the priestly or the Aaronic blessing. Uh, they're in Numbers chapter 6, beginning of verse 22. You probably all know it. And in fact, some of you, if not, you may have sung it. O Lord, bless thee and keep thee. O Lord, make his face shine upon thee. Amen? And be gracious unto you. That's the Shema. That was the first thing that the children of Israel spoke in the morning. It was the last thing before they went to bed. If your children left the house, it was so much a part of God's character that it became their chief prayer. And it is one of the prayers, if you've ever seen a Jewish house, there on the door of the house is a mezuzah. And inside of the mezuzah is that particular blessing usually along with a couple of others, but that one for sure. Why? Because at the end of it, verse 27 of number 6, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. Were the children of Israel completely faithful throughout their sojourn in the promised land? Absolutely not. Their history is actually a history of rebellion, isn't it? But God is still faithful, and God is still a blessing God. And again, make no mistake, if you want the maximum blessing from God, then give him the maximum obedience and attention he deserves. That certainly is true. But you cannot change the character and nature of God By your action, he will remain faithful to who he is in spite of what you do. Anybody want to take a guess at what the oldest passage of scripture that's ever been found in archaeological evidence is that's found in the promised land? It's actually a silver scroll. And and interestingly enough, in Jerusalem on the south side of the of the Hinnom Valley. There's a little community there. But in 1979, there was a, a man who was digging in a couple of tombs, and he found a couple of little silver scrolls, about yay big, three inches long, and about the size of a quarter in diameter. Both of them contained the Shema. Both of them dated to about around 700 B.C., So of all the things that we know about God, of all the evidence that we have of the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls are the next oldest thing that we have from about 222 BC, the oldest scrolls. But the oldest single thing that we have is the priestly blessing. I don't think it's a consequence that God would allow us to find of nothing else that's ancient, older than the New Testament times, that he's a blessing God. God loves to bless his kids. And so when I read this passage, I become very thankful in my own heart because I know that I'm not perfect. I know that my life, as much as I endeavor to live it absolutely as attentive to the things of God as I possibly can, that even to this day, I, I, was, I was rejoicing watching the Chargers beat up on the Raiders, so just saying. And I know some of you disagree with me, but my team won. And so some of you are like, I can't believe he said that. But you see, we, we look at things through the lens of our own character instead of the lens of God's character. And I'm really glad that God's character never changes because I can count on him. Even when I'm not faithful, Paul writing to Timothy there in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, this is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, speaking of our own position in Christ, you see when Christ died, you died because he died for you and you die with him. You have to die to your old nature. You're dying to who you were when you were born and you're alive in Christ is the picture that Paul's making. We shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. So there's a picture there of salvation. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But if we are faithless, 
he still remains faithful. So in the space of a verse, God reminds us that once you've accepted Jesus Christ, once you've believed on him, even when you are faithless or I am faithless, he remains faithful and it gives us the reason. He cannot deny himself. His character is such that he's faithful, period. He blesses, period. The condition for the extent of that is is our obedience to him, but he will always be faithful to you. He will always, in some way, shape, or form, blessing, be a blessing to you. But blessings don't necessarily mean no battles or burdens, amen? And that certainly is visible in the lives of the patriarchs. Even when they were faithful, he still had a little bit of conflict going on. You can actually see that uh, as we move on into Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 1, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and said to his people, Look, uh, the the people of the children of Israel are mightier than we. Let's deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened... In the, event, in the event of a war, and they would also join our enemies and fight against us, so we'll, we'll go up out of the land. So the children of Israel are going to keep learning this lesson over and over and over again, but God would remain, would remain faithful. They spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt, amen? But what happened at the end of 400 years? God did exactly what God promised to do, and he delivered them, Amen? But the length of period of time was based on the obedience of the children of Israel. So God all along was good. God all along was blessing, even in the hard time, even in the conflict, even in the death of some of those Israelites who died in Egypt. God didn't change. And so remember this for yourself. Don't don't put your failure on God. I, I don't want to put my failure on God. When I failed God does not mean he's going to fail me. Nor does it mean he's going to turn his back on you. He will never, scripture says, leave you, nor will he forsake you, period. Because that's who he is. However, because of sin, because of Isaac's sin, because of Abraham's sin, even some of those things that God blesses us with can cause us some troubles, amen? And let me give you a couple of examples. You see, the Philistines are trying to get Isaac to leave their land and settle someplace else. So Isaac actually has some conflict that's going on in his life because he's prosperous, because he has some of those blessings, because God's actually kept his promises. And so sometimes we still are going to go through struggles even though God has kept his into the bargain. And in that time, in that community, if you will, uh, water was very precious. It was a, It was a commodity that was really is valuable at gold part of the year. And bear in mind that where Isaac is settled, where Abraham is settled, if you look at a map of Israel, uh, if you look at Jerusalem, you go about 35 miles south of Jerusalem, you go about to the middle of the country of Israel, you're going to find that you're in the, the northern part of the Negev Desert. That is where this is. It's some of the driest, inhospitable land that you will ever see. It looks very much like if you're on your way to Vegas, uh, and you're out there where the Kelso dunes are, and you look at those hills, there is, there is no plant life out there at all. You, you see, God is still being faithful to him. Here's what happened in Isaac's life. He runs away. He tells a story. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. And I think that some of the circumstances that came into his life were a direct result of his disobedience. But nonetheless... God makes him prosperous. But sin can make some extra work. Verse 18. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. So here's what happens. Abraham is unfaithful. He teaches that unfaithfulness to Isaac. Isaac repeats the exact same sin, which allows the Philistines to come into the land that was supposed to be occupied by them, Here's these wonderful wells that are providing all this water. So the Philistines, knowing that there's going to be power with whoever has that water, fills the wells in. They go back to their abode on the coast. 
And he called them by the names which his father had called them. And also Isaac's servants dug, dug in the valley and found a, a well of running water. And it's interesting there because what he's really saying is they found an artesian spring. There was water that was running out of the ground already. It was pressurized. It was at a, at a level to where the aquifer was actually popping out of the ground. And so they dug there. It didn't have to dig very far. And it provided running fresh water, which is very, very rare uh, in, in the Negev Desert. It's literally running springs in Hebrew, much like the town in the mountains here that we lived in. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. And so he called the name of that well Ethek, which means contention, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. You see what happens when you're disobedient? God's blessing, there's a well there, there's water popping out of the ground, it's available for you, but you can't really possess it like you should because you've been disobedient to the Lord and the Lord allows these circumstances to exist in the life of Isaac instead of him freely having access to these wells that have been dug, now he's got to fight for it. And the same is true in our lives. When we are disobedient to the things of the Lord, you can count on having some struggles that are the direct result of sin. It makes extra work for you. It will make extra work for me. And so they called its name Sana, which means hatred. And he moved from, from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And its name is Reovath, which means to expand or to spread out or to go up. And because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Well, Isaac is actually a little misguided here. The land that he was in, he was supposed to occupy. But because he left it and because he gave it over, in essence, to the Philistines, he's having to fight for it now. And no matter what Isaac did or where he journeyed, basically the enemy followed him because he'd proven himself to be unfaithful and these men got to know that he could be manipulated. He could be threatened. Even though they knew God was for him, they also understood that if they applied enough pressure, they could pretty much get what they want. And so when you think about the way this is all handled here in the scriptures, the only thing that Isaac can do now is to compromise. The only thing that Isaac can do is basically say, look, I don't want to war with you guys. I don't want contention. He needs to try and be a peacemaker which is exactly what God wants us to do in these circumstances and situations ourselves. Well, Isaac was basically a mild-mannered man or a mild-tempered man. Uh, He needed to get a little bit of backbone. He kind of started taking the easy way out. And sometimes the easy way can get us into trouble, amen? Sometimes you got to just stand up and say, this is right before the Lord and this is the way I'm going to go. And you got to do a little bit of battling for, for the things that God wants for you. Any of you had to battle in prayer over anything ever? I have. Any of you had to do a little warring in the spirit to to obtain the things that God wants for you? Any of you ever actually struggled continually for a while and finally the Lord gave you a victory? The answer to that is if you walk with the Lord, yes. If you walk with the Lord for very long, you're going to have those times of needing to battle for the things that God uh, wants to do in your life. We, We do have very difficult situations. But the Lord wanted to bless them. We're going to see this same story in the book of Exodus. And uh, most of you know the story of the children of Israel. They've been delivered. They're on the other side of the, of the sea. And they're wandering in the wilderness. And they come to this spring that's called Mara, which means bitterness. And the Lord shows them a tree. And they cast it in the water. And it's made sweet. And he made a statute with the children of Israel, reminding them, if you want to avoid this in the future... You don't want to come to a bitter spring and you, in essence, say to me, God, can you fix this? If you want to avoid God having to fix your bitterness, this is what God says, verse 26 of Exodus 15. He said, if you'll diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which... I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He says, look, if you want to avoid some of these things, do what I say. 
If you want it to be better with you, then listen to my voice. You see, we can avoid some of this extra work by simply listening to God. And Isaac could have done the same thing. He could have just kept the wells. I don't know how many of you have ever been down inside of a well. I've been inside of a couple. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the the process of, uh, if you've ever been involved or seen the process of digging a well, but it's not an easy thing. You're descended down on a rope. If it's a hand-dug well, and you work from the bottom up, basically you begin to, to dig The dirt comes out of the hole. Uh, You put rocks or bricks or whatever the liner is going to be. You dig down a little bit. The the water and the mud, if there is any yet, begins to fill in the hole. You dig down one level, put in another row of bricks. You take that mud out. and, And basically you end up working your way down into mud and water until the water is so deep you you can't get through it any longer. It's a tough job. It's a dangerous job. In this case, he's got to do it more than once because of the sin that he allowed in his life. I think sometimes we forget that the Lord really wants to use what he's already given us. He doesn't want us to have to fight those battles over and over again. There are times in our lives when the Lord's already delivered you from an enemy, so to speak. He's already brought you out of some type of catastrophe. He's worked in your life He's shown you exactly what uh, you need to know from him. And you ever noticed how the second or the third time you have to relearn a lesson, it's harder? It's more difficult to redig the well than it is to keep the well clear and clean. It's harder to have to open it back up again than it was to dig it in the first place is the picture here. And so he's now fighting. He's ending up with this monumental amount of work that God never intended because God wanted to bless him and did bless him. But because he did not handle the blessing to the Lord correctly, he ended up having to fight for them again. Some of the ways that we can keep from doing that is to remember what the Lord wants to do in our lives. You know, sometimes we, we look for new things, don't we? Which is not inherently a bad thing, right? You know, we're looking for new ways so that we maybe don't have to pray as much. Can I tell you, you need to pray more. We, we keep looking for new things so maybe we don't have to read our Bibles quite as much. You need to read your Bible every day. Some of the old things are always going to be the best things. And if you give up those old things, one day you're going to have to go back and relearn and redo those same things. You're going to be re-praying for things that God's already done in your life because you did not maintain the things that he already gave you. Don't let that be you. Don't, don't let the enemy fill in your wells. You guard the wells of your life. Guard your prayer life. Guard the work of the Spirit in your life. Guard the, the Word in your life. Guard the fellowship in your life. Take care of the wells that have already been dug so that you do not have to dig them again. Because God gave them to you. It's up to you to maintain them. And sin will give you some extra work to do. That I can guarantee you. God wants us to be assured of who we are. And so he gives a strong assurance here. Notice verse 23. And then he went up there from there to, to Beersheba, or Beersheba today. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. And I want you to notice why he's saying that. He's saying, I made a promise to your daddy, and I intend to keep it. I am the God of your father Abraham. You know about the promise that I made to him. I'm good for it. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. For my servant Abraham's sake. Why does he say for my servant Abraham's sake? Because he wants Isaac to know he's going to keep his promise. In spite of the fact that Abraham was not fully faithful. In spite of the fact 
that Sarah messed up in spite of the fact that Isaac messed up, in spite of the fact that Jacob and Esau, the whole family basically is a, is a mess up at times. It doesn't change God's promise. And for us tonight, we need to freely stand on the promises of the Lord and not fear what God promises he is obligated to keep. So when he promises through his word to be a certain way, you can count on him being that way. Do not fear, for I am with you. I'm pretty sure he didn't feel like the Lord was with him all the time as he's wandering around the Negev desert. It's not like, you know, Isaac was going, wow, this, is, this well was just super easy to dig. You know, the rocks just flew out of the hole by themselves. No, he had to work for it. But God was with him. And I will bless and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar. What was Isaac's response? This should be our response. When God speaks to us, we should turn our attention to worshiping the Lord. That's what happened at an altar. Instead of being in contention with the Lord, Isaac begins once again to to really focus in on worshiping the Lord. He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And so this name, Beersheba, means well of the oath. So Isaac now, is, he's going he's gonna to make sure that this sticks this time. The Lord comes right when we need those assuring words. You know, sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, Sometimes there are days when it seems like maybe God moved, amen? He like changed, changed address or something and he lost ours. You know, like when you move and you do the forwarding address and you've got things you really want to get there, you ever notice how the only things that get there on time are the bills? You know, but all the things you actually want to come, like, you know, your, your family's Christmas cards or whatever, those things always go back to sender or something. Sometimes in our relationship with the Lord, we're tempted to believe that God has moved to a different address and somehow we no longer are connected. Our humanness says, because of the consequences, very often the way we've lived our lives, the things that are now in our life, because of that, it makes it seem like God has forsaken us. But he hasn't. He is still the same faithful God as the moments that you experienced him in blessing. Uh, and we all have those times. If you, you are walking with the Lord currently, you know that the Lord knows you. And you know, just exactly as 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, that the solid foundation of God stands. We have this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. There's no, there's no question that God still knows where you are and still knows what's going on in your life and still has a care and concern for you. But the fact that we moved, we, we've been wandering around in the desert, and, and we've been hucking rocks out of a previously dug well. It seems like the enemy uses it this way to induce fear into our life. Very often to induce condemnation into our life. You see, God's forsaken you. When in fact he hasn't. But the enemy wants it to seem like God has left. God has moved. That's why Paul, as he wrote there in Romans 8, said what he said. What can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can actually be against us? Now what isn't in that passage is that just because God is for us doesn't mean that you're not going to go through a difficult time from time to time. Just because God is for us doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer the consequences of your own actions. Just because God is for us does not mean that every day when you wake up, the Lord's going to move every stone out of your path and he's going to deflect every arrow that the enemy shoots at you. You're still going to have to battle. You're still going to have to fight. And so what happens when you abandon the things that God has done, those fights become a greater percentage of your life than they would otherwise be. You're refighting the same battle. And so it seems like you're now losing instead of winning. It does not seem like you're a conqueror. And so fear begins to set in. And the prophet Isaiah understood that. 
But there's really no reason for us to fear. And so Isaiah writing to the children of Israel, they're in captivity in Babylon. But you, O Israel, in verse 8 of Isaiah 41, are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions, and I've said to you, you are my servant, for I have chosen you, and I've not cast you away. Now remember, this is to the unfaithful inhabitants of former Jerusalem who who are the remnant, a little bit of the history of the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah begins with the Assyrians and ends with the Babylonians. And so here the nation's been wiped, it's been decimated. The Assyrians come and destroy 10 of the 12 tribes, the northern kingdom. All that's left is Judah. Israel has been literally wiped out. So you can see how they might have a little bit of fear going into now captivity in Babylon with the remaining two tribes. But God hadn't left them. They had left God. They had abandoned God. They'd stopped calling on the name of the Lord. They were constantly having to relearn the same lesson over and over and over and again. So Isaiah, speaking to the children of Israel, says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Goes on in verse 12, you will seek them and you will not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you shall be nothing as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, say I will hold your right hand and I will say to you, fear not, I will help you. Fear not, O Jacob. But they heard those words while they were still in captivity in Babylon. They weren't exactly prospering. They had to grab that promise and choose not to fear. They had to lay hold of the truth of what God had said and appropriate it for themselves. They could still choose to fear if they wanted to. They could still choose to believe that God had forsaken them, and they had a lot of practical reasons to believe that might be true. They're still in captivity, they're slaves. Jerusalem is still lying in waste. They were going to spend 70 years there. There was a lot of reasons to believe that God had changed addresses and did not forward the mail. But it wasn't true. So we have to be sure of what God speaks into our lives. And the way that we know that is by being obedient and by listening to the Lord and remembering those things which he said to us. You know, very often as I sit down with people that are struggling with some area of life, and it almost doesn't matter which area you talk about, you'll find that they basically know what God's word says, but they don't believe that it can be appropriated by them. And it usually goes along these lines. Well, I did this, 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 and this, so I think God's taken his hands off me. That's just simply a lie from the pit of hell. God may be chastising you, but he will never take his hands off of his children. He may allow things into your life to correct you. He chastens those whom he loves, amen? And if he doesn't chasten you, he does not love you. So you can experience negative things, and when you do, you should be asking the question, Do I want this to go on for a long period of time? And if I do, then you just keep doing what you're already doing. But if you know something that God is speaking into your life, the quickest way to avoid those things being a long-term problem in your life is to turn from them. Repent. Turn around. Go the other way. Make a choice in your mind that results a change in your action. That's what the word repentance means. It means to turn around. You see, when we do that, then we're back to the place to where the well is now bubbling with water again. We don't need to fear anymore. That's why Paul could write, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Have you ever thought of that promise there in Philippians 3? What manner of love 
Father God has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. If he went so far as to put Jesus on the cross, do you think that he put Jesus on the cross to kind of sort of love you? To maybe think about keeping you around if you mess up? No, of course not. That makes no sense whatsoever. Jesus died so that we could be God's kids permanent. That's why the world, Paul says, doesn't know it there in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. That's why they can't understand it. Because the world does everything conditionally, amen? That's the way it functions. Now, it's not universally true to absolutely every situation, but in a very general sense, the world is conditional in its love and acceptance of everyone and everything. If it works out to my benefit, if I don't know the Lord, then if it's a good thing, I'm going to put the effort into it because I want the good thing. It's conditioned on what I do. God's love is not conditioned on what you do. It is conditioned on what Christ did. He died on Calvary's cross so that you could have a relationship with God. God wants to bless us. He is a blessing God. But blessings does not necessarily mean uh, that you won't have battles. And in fact, there's a newsflash for you. You're probably going to have some battles even if God is blessing you. Verse 26, and then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahazath, one of his friends, and Pictol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? It's like, look, kind of make up your mind. Look, do you want me near you? Do you not want me? What are you doing? Legitimate question, amen? It's kind of like, look, I, I went into your land Uh, That was a mistake. I messed up. I got chastised by the Lord. I left. What are you doing here now? It's like, what do you want from me? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. You know, when you turn around and God's spirit is back on you in full measure and you're drinking out of the right wells again, people can tell. They know there's something different about your life. They can see the change. They can see the blessings of the Lord on your life. And sometimes it's just in your temperament. Sometimes it's maybe a personality trait that God deals with. Maybe it's provision in some way. It might be some physical thing. Could be relational. But people can see, just as these Philistines could see, that the Lord is with you. And so we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let's make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you, since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. I was like, we take our hands off of you and you're blessed of God. We don't mess with you and you're blessed of God. We can see the hand of God in your life. Do you know that people can see the hand of God in your life? You're going to get opportunities as we go through difficult times, we go through troubles and struggles as a community, as we go through troubles as a state and a city, things we're going through right now, you can tell the difference between someone who's walking with the Lord closely and someone who does not know the Lord in how they respond to the things that are going on around them. What they do when tragedy comes, when battle arises. And so he made them a feast and they ate and drank and Then they rose early in the morning and swore an oath one to another. And Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about a well which they had dug. And he said to them, we found water. And so he called it Shavah and the name of that city to this day is Ber Shavah. It's been changed slightly in the modern Hebrew to Beersheba, which means wells of seven, but in this case, wells of oath or well of completion. In other words, we're going to stay right here. We learned our lesson. We're going to, this is where we're staying, right here. And still called that to this day. 
You see, basically what happened is Isaac's strategy now is paying off. He's listening to God. He's gone back to where he's supposed to be. He's settled down where God told him to stay. He's planted where God's called him to plant. And basically what he's doing is he's coming along and saying yes to God's promises. You want a recipe for success in your life? Say yes to God's promises and say yes to God's command on how to get there. In other words, do God's things God's way. What God says you want to fully do, but you want to do those things in a way that honors the Lord. And so Isaac now is beginning to get the whole picture. Isaac in his approach is is really going to let go of the misdeeds of the Philistines. And his conduct during this conflict tells you where he's at now as a man of God. He says, look, I'm going to focus on the right things. You see, before he was worried because he'd never experienced famine, and so he freaks out. Instead of trusting God, a single thing comes into his life, and he like loses it. He, he flips. It's like, man, I, I got to move. I got to go to the land of the Philistines now. We, we've got a little bit of a famine going here. It's the first one in 100 years, but you know, this is a serious deal. I need to change my, the way I work. And there's a picture in there for us. Because our lives are not guaranteed to be free from battle, and in fact, exactly the opposite is true, Jesus was speaking truth when he said, know this, in this world, you will have tribulation. He spoke that to the disciples, by the way, and you are his disciples, you're still children of God, you're still followers of the Lord Jesus, and so you can count on having some trouble. The question is, who are you going to turn to when the trouble comes? Someone who's really walking with the Lord turns to the Lord. Someone who trusts the Lord turns to the Lord. Someone who's leaning on the Lord turns to the Lord. Someone who's confident in the promises of the Lord turns to the Lord. Someone who's not tries to find the nearest encampment of the Philistines. It's like, I know God was good last week, but I'm not so sure about this week. And so the lesson for us is just because something comes into your life and it, and it tests your faith, it's not a reason to abandon your faith. It's not a reason to turn to the world. We, we need to stay put where God has planted us. Rest and trust in what he does. We can see at the end of this, there's, there's some conflict. And there's going to be some further things that go on in Esau's life and, and in Isaac's life as well. And all of their children. In verse 34, when Esau was 40 years old, he took wives Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Besma, the daughter of Elan the Hittite. Now know that the Hittites are the mortal enemies of the Jewish people. So you can kind of see it's like, eh, you know, they're pretty good looking. I mean, they're, sure, they're Hittites. They're total heathen pagans, but they're really cute. More bad decisions and more circumstances and consequences that come from those bad decisions. And notice verse 35, and they were a grief of the mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Where did Esau learn those things? Abraham and Isaac. So again, it goes back to this picture of we who are parents especially, but really all of us. We need to be careful what we show our kids. As they remember those things, those little bits of compromise in all of our lives, very often our children pick up. And so Esau's lifestyle really came from his parents. He's showing the same flaws, the same problems that that his parents had. And so the secret here in this passage, if we want to, you know, head towards the Lord, if we want to go up, we want to go out, um, we're going to have some difficulties we want to be used to the Lord. We're going to face some things that are going to be uh, troubling to us at time. But we need to make sure that we stand with the Lord, that we, we hang on to the King. When the troubles of our hearts get big, we need to trust in an even bigger God is another way to look at it. Amen? Because God's bigger than that. Just exactly as Psalm 25 says, the troubles of my heart, David cried out, are enlarged. They bring me uh, to my distress. Look at my affliction, my pain, forgive all my sins, consider my enemies, for there are many, they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me, let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. 
What David was saying was, Lord, I trust you. My enemies are many, but you're bigger than my enemies. And so when you face those times in your life, when it seems like the right thing to do is to run to the Philistines, you need to remember this passage. When it seems like you should trust in the arm of flesh, you need to remember this passage. When it seems like you should just do the best with what you have because it makes sense, you should remember this passage. Because a lot of what Isaac did actually made some sense, didn't it? I was like, look, we're going to die if we stay here. Even when we're faced with those decisions, it seem like it's kind of not working out so well. If God has spoken into your life, hang on to what God said. Trust in him because he is faithful even when we are faithless because he can't deny himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for that truth that you always and forever are faithful. You will never be anything less than faithful. And God, we are grateful for your faithfulness. And we pray tonight as we uh, have the privilege of being able to bless some kids in a faraway land um, by packing some simple boxes with some toys and treats and tracks. Lord, just some things that we can say you love them. God, let that be an example to us that Sometimes it's the very most simple things in our lives uh, that can help us turn that corner from uh, unbelief and lack of trust to, to belief and trusting you. And so, God, we just put our cares and concerns into your hands. We pray that you would uh, help us with them. Lord, that you would bless us as we go our way tonight. Uh, fill us with your spirit. And when those days come, when we're tempted to move towards the Philistines, help us to stay put. Lord, help us to not have to dig out the old wells, but remember the promises and the goodness of those places in our lives where you have rooted and grounded us and planted us. We thank you for it. Bless us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen.